Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Brooke Bergen. Brooke is the Director of Public Relations and Member Communications at the Association of American Medical Colleges. In this episode, we talk about audiences and communication segmentation across membership, channel strategies that work best across these specific member segments, and how lifecycle messaging works at a membership organization. In my day job, I help businesses and organizations develop, at times refine, and implement winning audio strategies for their brands. Podcasts are an increasingly popular content format for B2B marketing and communications because of their authenticity and scalability. It's the ultimate format for the zoomed out professional that's craving a few moments away from the screen. But while distributing podcasts to Apple and Spotify is the de facto strategy, it isn't really a winning one for B2B marketers and communicators. It's fine for ad-supported podcasts because their success is defined by downloads. The more downloads per episode, the more they can charge for ads. That's their business. But downloads aren't a signal of engagement, attribution, and ROI for B2B brands and organizations. B2Bs that anchor success in downloads per episode aren't measuring the space the right way. It's not their fault. It's just how it's been done to this point. So let's think about how the podcast process works for B2B brands and organizations. We record and produce a podcast and then distribute it to the podcast directories. We ask our owned audiences to go and listen on a third-party walled garden distribution point. These distribution points, like Apple and Spotify, are increasingly saturated and have negligible listener insights. It's even harder to understand if the people that did download the content did anything that was even helpful for your business after that download. Let's think critically about this and reverse engineer the process. The purpose of the podcast is to get someone to do something that's helpful for your business and organization. It isn't to get a download or a subscriber. Don't send your best audience to where your audio is. The question is how can your audio live where your target audience already exists? Do you use email, PDFs, Twitter, LinkedIn? What are your channels? Venly is an audio platform that is designed for businesses and organizations. Venly. We believe that your audio should live where you do business with enterprise-grade security, privacy, and listener analytics. Are you interested in how audio can play a role in how you might message stakeholders like members? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the excellent Brooke Bergen. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Brian. Brooke Bergen serves as Director of Public Relations and Member of Communications for the Association of American Medical Colleges, where she directs public relations and member communication strategy on behalf of the nation's medical schools and teaching hospitals. In her role, she works closely with colleagues across the association to provide guidance and direction on media relations, crisis response, and member communications activities that elevate the work of the AAMC and its members in the shared mission to improve the health of people everywhere. Prior to joining the AAMC in 2012, Brooke spent most of her career in the rank and file of a few PR and strategic communication agencies in Washington, D.C., representing clients primarily in the healthcare and education sectors. Among her favorite assignments was traveling the country as a media handler for a spokesperson representing a weekly multiple sclerosis treatment, the late, great David Lander, who played Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. Brooke graduated from the George Washington University with a BA in communications. In her free time, she likes to see comedy and live theater with her husband and take slow walks with their senior dog, Fergie, in the Petworth neighborhood of D.C. Brooke, thank you so much for being with me. I really appreciate it. Brian, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for asking me to be here today. Of course. So for those that aren't familiar, 
what is the Association of American Medical Colleges? And we touched on it a little bit in the bio, but who makes up the membership? Sure. So the Association of American Medical Colleges is an association in Washington, D.C. And like many associations in D.C., we are part of the alphabet soup. So we are the Association of American Medical Colleges, but you'll more often hear us referred to as the AAMC. And as the AMC, we represent the nation's medical schools, teaching hospitals, research institutions, and academic societies. So those are all the institutions that make up the academic medicine community, which is unique in that they all touch on patient care, medical education, medical research, and community collaborations. So those are our member institutions, and then our constituents are all of the individuals within those institutions. So that will be the medical school deans, the teaching hospital CEOs, chief medical officers, student affairs professionals, public relations professionals, all the individuals within those institutions are those who make up our constituents. So when we connected beforehand, you mentioned that the membership for the purposes of communications is segmented by affinity group, and there are over 20, if I'm not mistaken, affinity groups. How does messaging this broad and diverse member base play out in the day-to-day? Is every piece of collateral customized for each affinity group? Is it more of a one-to-many? How do you think about tactically implementing these types of communication strategies? So that is a great question. As I mentioned, you're right. We do have about 20 affinity groups, and that includes our professional development groups, as well as councils and organizations. And all of our constituents connected through the AMC, most often through one of these affinity groups. When I'm thinking about a communications plan and messaging, if we have a new data report or a new uh, initiative that we are communicating about, I'm working with my colleagues across the AAMC who are supporting those different affinity groups. So oftentimes that might, you know, as you were saying, it, it might look like developing messaging or a fact sheet that might be specific for Dean. So maybe we want them to know something specific about um, a new report that, that involves leadership at a medical school. But more oftentimes, like I said, I'm, I'm working with my colleagues across the association to deliver the content in the way that their affinity group members receive content. So maybe that is in a weekly email. We kind of condense all of the information for a specific week of all the different news that's happening or a listserv. So that's often how we are um, communicating about it. We're not, it's not so much that we are developing a specific piece of collateral for each segmented audience, but recognizing that there might be content that a leadership, leadership at a medical school might need to know versus someone more on the ground in the PR department, for example. So what are some of the main channels that you will use to communicate with your members? Listservs, I imagine, are pervasive, but researchers might be on LinkedIn. Doctors might be on Twitter. Are there some channel-specific practices that you've developed to reach members where they are? Yeah, that is a great question. And we definitely do think through the channels as well as the audience when we're communicating about different initiatives or just information that our audiences, our members and constituents need to know. Thinking about social media is a great example because we do know that many of our constituents are on LinkedIn. And so that might be where we'll share information such as new reports or new data or professional development opportunities. Um, The AMC develops a lot of resources, webinars, conferences. We're now starting to get into more in-person conferences as we're getting um, two years in here. So that's often where we're sharing that kind of content on LinkedIn. We know that Twitter, although we do have a really robust Twitter presence is really more where medical students and residents are. So we might be thinking through how we share content on Twitter differently than how we share it on LinkedIn. Um, As you know, 
Twitter can be a, a, a channel where we might have a report or some piece of information that we're sharing in a post, and then it might devolve into some sort of thread. It's just being more mindful of how we're sharing content on that specific channel is, is definitely something that we are thinking through. Twitter also is a place where the AMC is using almost in a customer service capacity for some specific content that we may be sharing. So in addition to working with our member institutions, the AMC also has a number of service programs. The Medical College Admissions Test is uh, is the AMC's test. So that's the school, the, the test that medical students take to get into medical, co- uh, medical school, as well as the application service for medical school and for residency programs. So sometimes we might be using Twitter in a way to share, you know, what do medical students who are taking the medical, the MCAT next week, what do they need to know? Or is there information related to one of our application services that you might need to know? So we kind of think about it almost in like a customer service type of way. In terms of other channels we use, our website just in general has a ton of information. We have different sections by audience for our website. So we do have an entire section just for medical students and residents where they can go and find everything from what do I need to know to take the MCAT to how am I going to pay for medical school? What do I need to know to move on to residency and that sort of thing. So there's just a ton of information there. We really do find at the end of the day that email is one of those channels that it, it seems just so rudimentary, but we know that that is really how we're getting information to our audiences on a more regular basis. Same old email. It's outrageous to me that you just suggested that an honest <laughs> piece of communications on Twitter might devolve into misinformation. <laughs> I, I don't know where you have that basis to make that allegation. It's really exactly no evidence, no evidence to suggest that that has ever happened before. Brooke, you're on Brian Landau's podcast, not the Joe Rogan podcast. Please watch what, <laughs> what are your members looking for? I'm curious what the feedback loop might look like when you're messaging to such a big member base. Yeah, that's that's a good question. And so the AMC, when we think about the work that we're doing, we are the voice of academic medicine. So our members are looking to us. They're, they're the boots on the ground. They're looking to us to give them the national perspective, the guidance of issues that are most impacting the academic medicine community. During the, uh, during the pandemic, that might have looked like something, you know, we provided guidance to medical schools about how and when medical students should be working in the clinical environment. Um, more recently, we have advocated and urged for vaccine mandates amongst healthcare workers. So we are at that sort of offering that national perspective across the board for the guidance that we're giving to our member institutions across the healthcare environment. They are looking to, and and so that's sort of what they're looking to us for. And we're looking to them for, like I said, kind of what is happening within their communities. So what are medical school deans concerned about? What information do faculty need to know to work best with their their colleagues? So it is sort of that feedback loop where we're, we're providing them this guidance and then we're looking to them for this information and what's going on on the ground. And a lot of the ways that we do regularly communicate in this way and get this feedback and then give this information are through our affinity groups. So those are the regular relationships that we have with our member institutions and our constituents where we're having these discussions day in and day in and day out and you know on a weekly basis. I'll get you out on this question when we spoke beforehand. I was really interested to hear that interacting with undergrads that might be interested in a career in medicine is important to you. They're not part of your membership, but they are like a key stakeholder group in this journey. So whereas deans at a medical school are an example of a member, an undergrad is a constituent. How does the dynamic of constituent 
interplay with a member? And how does lifecycle messaging play out at the AAMC? The AMC is a unique organization. And you're right, we are connecting with individuals across, we call it the continuum of their career. So we are connecting with undergrads who are thinking about a career in medicine, who are thinking about what they need to do to get into medical school and starting to prepare for the MCAT. So we have we have you know web content, we have a newsletter that's just for pre-meds of all the things that they need to know as they are just in those early stages of thinking about a career in medicine. That individual then might go on, take the MCAT, apply to a couple of medical schools, get into medical school, and then they're a student. And then we're connecting with them through, for example, the Organization of Student Representatives is one of our community groups that connects them through students. So we are now communicating with that individual as a student. When they graduate medical school and they go through the match and they continue on to residency, we're connecting with them as a resident. And then uh, and providing resources and information to residents as they are connect, con- continuing on through that phase of their educational journey. And then once they've graduated, or excuse me, once they've finished their residency and continued on to clinical practice, and then they are a practitioner, they might go, maybe they'll do a postdoc and continue on to research. And we are, the AMC is, as, as an organization is connecting with individuals at every step of that. And that, you know, is just an example. That's not necessarily everybody's path. But in terms of the communications that we're having, we are providing information, resources, professional development to individuals at every stage. So we are a large organization and through these affinity groups, and that's how we are connecting. So individuals are connecting with the AMC through every stage of their career, as I said, from when they're undergrad all the way through clinical practice and beyond. So that really is what makes the AMC such a unique organization and the way that we're communicating with potentially individuals across that lifespan. I'm joined today by Brooke Bergen. Brooke is the Director of Public Relations and Member Communications for the Association of American Medical Colleges. Brooke, thanks so much for being with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brian.